This is God's word for us today. Ephesians 6 verses 18 uh, through 24. Paul writes, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your um, the chance we have to study it. Whether we're even now we're at a distance, but you've given us the technology to study it together. And I pray that even though this is not ideal, you will help us love you in your word. God, be glorified as we study. Teach us and grow us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. How do you close one of the sweetest, greatest books in all the scriptures? In Ephesians, we've seen the active work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one true God, moving to save our souls, to build his church. We've been reminded of grace. We've seen the stunning mystery of the gospel. Part of the mystery is that tells us that God's people are not of any particular ethnic group, but are comprised of all people, Jews and Gentiles, who come to Jesus by grace through faith. We've also seen that because of the glories of the gospel, all of us should live differently. Those who have Christ should have changed lives as we live together as the people of God. Life in the church, life in the workplace, life in the family are all to be different because of the wonderful truth that God makes us his very own people in Christ. And even though there's a spiritual battle that we fight, we fight that battle not with weapons of, the, uh, of, of our own, but with weapons of the grace of Christ. So how do you wrap up a book like this? You remind the people of God of a couple of very simple, very important truths. And then you pray and you say farewell and you point people to Jesus the whole time. So in our final look at the book of Ephesians for this series, I, it, it's been 33 sermons long, although it's taken us more than a year to pull it off with some breaks in the way. We're going to find four points to take with us in the close. And let's just jump right in as Paul gives us a closing prayer, and a farewell. So point number one, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. Be committed to prayer. Point number one is be committed to prayer. And that's looking at verse 18. Again, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we're picking up the point here and we're stretching here between the end of Paul's illustration of the armor of God and the closing of the letter. See, over the last paragraph, Paul has called the Ephesians to remember that they are in a spiritual battle and they must be prepared to stand strong in God's strength and to do war with God's weapons. And those weapons we saw were truth and righteousness, gospel readiness and faith, salvation and the use of the scripture. 
And we said those are ordinary elements of Christian obedience, even though they are the armor of God. They're things that belong to God. God gives them to us. And in an amazing way, they're the tools that we use to defeat the devil and the devil's attacks against us. Well, Paul now finishes the list with a final element that he doesn't give a piece of armor description to, right? This is not a, a belt. This is not a shield. This is not a helmet. This undergirds every bit of the Christian life. Paul calls us to prayer. Now, there's nothing confusing at all in verse 18 if you're studying it, right? If you want to stand strong as a Christian, you pray. If you and I are honest people, by the way, we know this intuitively, right? And if we're also honest, and since you're at home on your Facebook, you can, you can afford to be even more honest right now, right? If, the, if you're honest, you know that prayer and the call to prayer is a thing that every Christian that I ever knew, have ever known struggles with. We all know we're supposed to pray. We all feel the pressure to pray. We want to do better in our prayer lives. And quite often, we really don't do much of anything about it. So, quickly... Let's be sure we know what we mean when I say you're supposed to pray. What does it mean to pray? Pray means you talk to God. That's it. You might do that by speaking words out loud to God. You might do it in your heart. You might sit, you might stand, you might kneel, you might walk, you might lie down. The point of prayer is not how you do it, but the point of prayer is that you talk to the God who made you. And here in verse 18, Paul presents four uses of the word all to help us to see the call to prayer. So first is pray at all times in the spirit. Our lives should be marked by prayer, right? We should be a people who pray at any time. You can pray when you wake up. You can pray when you go into bed. You can pray before meals. You can pray at church with others. You can pray in the car on the way to work. You can pray walking in the door to a big meeting. You can pray with people on the phone. I got to do that today before uh, headed toward service today. You can pray at a formally called organized prayer meeting. There is no such thing as a single biblical schedule for prayer. You are to be, we are to be people who, who naturally, eagerly, with our mouths, in our hearts, formally, informally, whatever, we are to be people who readily talk to the Lord. And prayer is supposed to be in the Spirit. And the point to that is that the Spirit of God who indwells every Christian guides and directs our prayers. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27 say to us, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The point here is not that the Spirit will make us speak in some private, secret, spiritual prayer language as we pray. And neither is the point that the Spirit will put us into a, some sort of trance and overtake our lips as we pray. We pray with our minds engaged. But as we're focused on honoring God, as we're filled with God's holy word, as we look to have our hearts shaped by God, the Spirit of God will prompt us to pray the things that we should pray. And the Spirit of God will carry our prayers to the ears of the Father and of the Son, even sometimes reshaping our prayers in accord with God's will. The second all in the list is with all prayer and supplication. 
And the point there is that we pray in a variety of ways. The word prayer, I told you, means talking to God. The word supplication, it's a kind of prayer. It's that where you ask God for something. You make a request of God. So you pray to God in more than one way, in a variety of ways. Because sometimes when you pray, you're asking God for things that you want or things that you need. That's supplication. But there's other kinds of prayers, too. Think about the model prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You guys know that prayer pretty well, I'm sure. In that prayer, gives Jesus gives multiple categories for how we should pray. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that shows you that praising God is part of prayer, even while you ask that God would show his name holy all over the world. Your kingdom come asks the Lord to change the world and spread the gospel, even as it expresses a heart desire to see the Savior return. Give us this day our daily bread shows us that we pray for physical and immediate needs to be met. Forgive us our debts shows us that prayer includes a confession of sin and a resting on Jesus for mercy. Lead us not into temptation shows us that we're needful of the Lord's guidance and the Lord's protection. You know, sometimes we've used the, the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, as an acronym to teach people how to pray, right? The, the letter A is for adoration, praising God for who God is and God's character. C is for confession, admitting your sin to the Lord and showing sorrow for your sin and seeking God's forgiveness in Jesus. T is for thanksgiving, telling God that you're grateful, not just for who he is, but for the things that he's done, for the things that he's given you. And S is for supplication. Asking God to meet needs that are big, maybe they're small, maybe they're personal, maybe they're local, maybe they're national, maybe they're global, any needs, that's supplication. So Christian, I would say to you, it would be really good for you to find multiple ways to pray. Pray at different times. Pray with different prayer guides. Pray with different patterns. Pray sometimes long. Pray short. Include praise and request in your prayers. The third all here is keep alert with all perseverance. To persevere means you keep going even when something is hard. And the call for us to keep alert with all perseverance is a call for you and me not to let ourselves be, become weary in prayer. We must be committed and stick to it. We've got to pray and not let the world drag our minds away from God. And this is the spot where I'm going to remind you simply that the primary reason that you don't pray the primary reason I don't pray on days when I don't do it well, the primary reason we don't pray is we don't plan to pray. You will never develop a solid prayer life accidentally. You have to set aside time on purpose to be a time of prayer. Now, it doesn't have to be a full hour long. It might be only a few minutes to start with. But if you're going to be faithful in prayer, if you're going to be alert and persevere, you have to intentionally plan to make prayer happen. And the fourth all you'll see here is making supplication for all the saints. So in case you wonder where to start with your prayers, where do you start with the focus of your prayers? Paul reminds you that your requests are to be especially for all the saints. Worshiping God, of course, is going to be number one. But once you get to the time of asking God to do this thing or that thing for us, we should remember that our hearts, our prayers, should be strong for other believers in the Lord Jesus. You should be praying for your church. You should be praying for missionaries overseas. You should be praying for the persecuted. 
you know, one of the reasons, guys, that I've spent time uh, over the past few months trying to help us build an active church directory is so that you would have an easier way to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ at PRC. So again, I'm going to give you that little commercial right here. I would love it, church, if you would get the app that we've talked about. Look at the pictures. Look at the smiling faces and the families in the church directory app. Read those names and pray for your church. This is also why I bug so many of you that you need to get into the church directory because you're not listed until you go through the steps and check the boxes to be listed in the church directory. I want us to be able to pray with each other and for each other. Christians, be devoted to prayer. That's the final piece of the spiritual armor here. In fact, it's what you have to wear over all of it, if you will. You pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit, in accord with God's Word, in accord with God's will. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray out of commitment. Pray out of discipline. Pray for all sorts of believers. Again, let me urge you. If your prayer life needs a boost, talk to somebody else in the church. Ask them to help you just, just by talking with you about prayer. That helps. If you just talk to somebody and say, I need to know better how to pray. Will you, will you, will you hold me accountable to pray today? Ask them to join you in some kind of prayer and being committed to prayer. And plan to pray. Make a decision. What time of the day are you going to pray? When are you going to set aside, I don't care, 15 minutes to get ready and then to pray. Now, if your prayer muscles have been built up more, set aside more time. That's fine. But the point that I'm making is you don't have to start with an hour. Just start with what you can do. And when you get ready to pray, make a list of things that you can pray about. Make sure that your list involves different kinds of prayers. Use the model prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Use, use the ACTS acronym Read through and pray through a passage of scripture. Pick a psalm and just read and pray along with what you read there. Don't go to into prayer time unprepared uh, or you might find yourself more discouraged because you can't think of what to say. Just think of a lot of ways to pray so you can pray without being dulled to the practice. Prepare yourself to pray, especially for other believers, which means prepare yourself to pray for the church, especially you need to know the church. You need to know your local church. Know the people who would be sitting by you. If you were sitting in the room right now, who would be sitting to your left? Who would be sitting to your right? Who would be in front of you? Who would be behind you? Know the faces. Know the people. Get to know them and their needs and their strengths and their weaknesses. And pray for each other. Pray for the elders. Goodness, pray for me. Pray that God would grow the church in number and in love for him. Be committed to prayer. Now let's move on and I'll show you a specific prayer request that Paul gives. In point number two, point number two, pray for gospel boldness. Pray for gospel boldness. Verse 19 to 20, Paul says, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Most often when Paul writes to a church, he focuses his attention away from himself. The apostle doesn't write these letters to get attention. But here as the letter draws to a close, we see that Paul, feeling his need, asks that the church would not only pray for all believers, but they would specifically lift him up 
to the Father. And in the prayer that request that Paul makes, he asks for what I will call here gospel boldness. He needs the right words and the right heart to continue to share, to share the gospel in any and all circumstances. And we want to ask for boldness like that. So first, Paul asks for the right words. As Paul gets ready to have a meeting with Caesar, as Paul is ready to speak with those who enter the house in his sphere of influence where he's on house arrest, Paul wants right words. I don't, th- I don't think, by the way, this is Paul asking the church to pray that he would understand the gospel. Paul gave us several chapters in this letter showing us the glories of the gospel. Paul knows about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, the glorious grace brought by Jesus and our receiving grace by faith apart from works. But I would suggest that Paul's telling you more, saying more that he's asking that God would grant him the right kinds of words to gain a hearing with those who are around him. What part of the gospel will Paul emphasize that will get people's attention? What truth can Paul proclaim that'll pique people's curiosity? If you're talking with a person who believes maybe God will never accept her because of sin in her past, you probably aren't going to have to emphasize, you're probably not going to have to emphasize the sinfulness of man as much as you will need to clarify the offer of grace to all people, regardless of past sin. But if you're speaking to a person who is arrogant and self-righteous, you might need to spend time in the law of God to show them that we've all earned the wrath of God because of our rebellion against him. Somebody who's desperately lonely might listen best when they hear about the offer of adoption into the family of God in Jesus Christ. Again, you don't ever reshape the gospel. You don't hide the truth, but we should pray that God would give us wisdom to speak the gospel with gracious words, seasoned with salt, as Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter four. We should pray that God would put good words in our mouths to get the attention of others while the Lord captures their hearts by the power of the spirit. And then Paul asks for the church to pray for his boldness. That in and of itself should amaze us. See, Paul is a prisoner in the city of Rome. Paul was arrested for sharing the gospel. Paul appealed to Caesar because he was preaching the gospel. Paul has been preaching the gospel to the people who are jailing him. And in his letter to the Philippians, Paul points out that many people in Caesar's own household have heard of the faith and come to faith. Do you really think a guy like that needs more boldness? But we all need boldness. We need glorious, God-centered, gracious, loving boldness. We need God to give us the courage to speak, even when speaking might cost us a friendship. We need the boldness to share the gospel, even when sharing might make people think we're strange or backward or just plain dumb. We need to value the glory of God and the eternal souls of the lost more than we value our reputations or our safety. And that requires that God would give us the true courage we need to speak the words that he gives us. So Christians, pray for gospel boldness for yourself and for others. Pray that God would give you the words that you need to proclaim the true gospel. Pray that God will give you the boldness to proclaim 
the gospel, to proclaim those words, and then Christians take action. Actually, as Paul says, declare the gospel boldly as you ought to speak. Let me ask you to think right now. Whom do you know needs to hear the gospel? And if you're not sure, pray. Ask God to set on your heart just one person, just two people, and begin to pray that God will give you the right words to speak to have a gospel conversation with that person. Begin to pray that the Lord will give you the boldness to actually open your mouth. And pray for other people too. Pray for our missionaries. Again, our church supports people who are missionaries on the front lines of gospel proclamation. Pray for those people in the church who need to be sharing the gospel. Pray for the people that preach at Providence that we would be always eager to proclaim a clear gospel every week for everyone to hear. Pray for gospel opportunities, gospel clarity, and gospel boldness. All right, third point. Be committed, be committed to biblical fellowship. Verses 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. You know, it may seem to you like we've spent a long time in the letter to the Ephesians. And it has been a while since we started. It was September 15th of last year when we did chapter 1, verse 1. But to the people of Ephesus, Paul's letter would not have seemed like it was a long letter. You can read the letter of Ephesians easily in under 30 minutes. And for the people who were listening to this part of the letter originally, they would have recognized that Paul was bringing things to a close. Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, and then tells them Tychicus is going to come fill them in. Let me ask you to think about this. You can talk back to your computer if you want to. Does this sound profound to you? That he that Paul would tell Tychicus to fill these folks in on how he's doing. Does that sound like a profound truth? You don't think so, do you, Abigail? Not really, no. But let's think together. The Lord God Almighty who made us inspired the Apostle Paul to write this text. So this is a big deal. These words are among the most important words ever put down on paper. And the Lord saw fit that in this recording of the Holy Word, simple human love and concern is part of the document. Paul knew that the people in Ephesus would be curious to know how he's doing. They want to know, is he okay? Is he healthy? Is he keeping his spirits up? When's he going to have his trial? Who's there with him to help? Paul lets the people know that Tychicus is going to be able to fill them in. Tychicus was carrying this letter from Paul's jail in Rome, probably along uh, along with the letters to Colossians and to Philemon. We mention his name five times in the New Testament, and every time he is shown as a solid, faithful brother and minister. Tychicus was a reliable partner in Paul's ministry. He never forsake the apostle. 
even even through the hardest circumstances, even at the end of Second Timothy, the only reason Tychicus left Paul was because Paul sent him somewhere. Well, Paul says here that he sent Tychicus to the Ephesians for two reasons. One, so they would know how Paul is and that he might encourage their hearts. So the job of Tychicus, besides carrying the letter, maybe helping the people better understand the letter, maybe he preached a little bit from this letter, Tychicus's job was to help them better know Paul and his situation and to find encouragement for their hearts because, well, because they're together. Don't let yourself overlook the importance of human closeness and fellowship here. Listen, God did not make us to be alone. You're not designed for that. God did not shape us so that we will do best when we're disconnected from other people. We need each other. We need to care for each other. We need other people to care about us. And that's why I would suggest to you from this little section, you should be devoted to biblical fellowship. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, it is your responsibility for your good and for the good of other people to get to know each other, and to encourage each other's hearts. Even if you think you like being alone, because some of you people are introverts, and I know this, you should never isolate yourself long-term. You've got to be in fellowship. You've got to be in contact and in relationship with other Christians if you are going to do the things that God commands you to do as a Christian. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, Paul, or the, the, le- the author of the letter of the Hebrews, we don't know who wrote this for sure, wrote, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, there is just no way we can obey those commands or the multiple commands about Christian relationships that we saw in the book of Ephesians without being involved in and engaged in each other's lives. And the fact is, for many of us, this weird season of social distancing and masks and quarantines and online streaming services, here we are, all of this has served to help us see just how much we need genuine relationships with one another. You need to talk to other people. You need to sing with other people. You need hugs and handshakes and fist bumps or whatever it is you do. And you cannot fulfill all of the things that you really need on a Zoom call or on a Facebook live stream. Now again, I've always said to you guys, we understand if you've got a health concern, we understand that you can't get out and we absolutely respect that. And here we are streaming today because, again, we want to be sure that we're keeping everybody safe and there was a potential risk that we wanted to avoid sharing with the body. And we stream our services and we do that work happily so that anyone who doesn't feel like they can leave their house or should can participate to a degree. But we know this from experience and from Scripture. We need one another. We need to be gathered. We need fellowship. Well, Paul sent Tychicus to fill the Ephesians in on his life because Paul couldn't get there. And Tychicus was going to encourage the hearts of these people 
So ask yourself, how can I better get to know other people in the body so that I can encourage other people's hearts? It requires time, requires effort, requires commitment, requires meals together and going for coffee. It requires play dates for kids and time spent talking over books with family. And yeah, sometimes it requires Zoom calls, FaceTime, just a phone call. You got to do what you got to do. But Christian, do what you must to be sure that you are participating in genuine life on life fellowship. And I want to read the letters close here. We're almost done. Point number four, love the Lord. Let's just make our last point for this book. Love the Lord. 23 and 24, the last verses say, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You know, sometimes the best thing a pastor can do is not say much. And this is actually one of those times. We have a very sweet closing and I'm not going to overdo it. Peace and love with faith, that's the initial blessings that Paul speaks over the church. We want peace with God. We want the love of God. We want to walk in the hopeful faith that we find in the risen Lord Jesus. And in Christ, all these things are ours. And these blessings are applied to the brothers, the full united family of God. We're not created by God to be alone. We are to be united to the church, fellowship as a family. And then the book closes with this blessing. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grace of God is ours. And the grace of God is for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only grace that's going to last is the grace of God that's in Christ. And I can assure you, you don't love Jesus as much as you should. None of us do. And there are going to be days you feel it. And there are days you don't. But the grace of God is going to be for those who know and trust in and are committed to the Lord Jesus. Notice that the blessing here comes to us, by the way, look at this, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, Paul told us to pray in the Spirit. So Paul, in this closing, intends that we see the work of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, the God who is three in one. So just as a side note, if you deny the Trinity, you deny the God of the Bible. If you worship a deity who is not the triune God of the Bible, you worship something other than the one true God according to the Bible. Now let's take two things away here as we wrap up. First, love the Lord. All this blessing, all this love, all this community is for those who love the Lord. Christian, as you look at your life, remember that you have no single higher purpose than that you would love and be committed to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He is worthy of your love even when you can't feel it and give it perfectly. He is still worthy of it. God is good. Love the Lord. And this brings us to the grace of Jesus. The first step in loving the Lord is to find yourself under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us have ever loved God like we should. All of us have earned the judgment of God by not living up to God's perfection. But the good news, the glorious news, is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into our world and take our place. Jesus lived a perfect life that God requires None of us have ever come close to being perfect like that, which means we deserve judgment. Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. None of us are innocent enough to be able to do that for ourselves or others. 
Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death and proving that his work was perfect and complete. And the beautiful news is that the Lord extends his grace to us, not because we've been good, but as a gift. All who will come to Jesus and fully rely on him in faith will be saved. So I want to ask you, watching from a distance, have you been saved? Think it through. Really ask it. Have you seen your sin? Have you confessed to God that you're in need of God's grace? Have you believed that you have no hope other than Jesus? Have you believed that Jesus died and rose from the grave for your salvation? Listen to my call today. Turn from sin, entrust your soul to Jesus, cry out to him for mercy, and find grace in Christ. And when you've got the grace of Jesus, I would urge you, do be committed to prayer and pray for gospel boldness and be committed to biblical fellowship in the church and with all your heart and sometimes with just energy and commitment when your heart doesn't feel it, love the Lord. He's worthy of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I would ask you, Lord, as we are just finishing this beautiful, beautiful book, I would ask you, give us grace. Help us to take to heart the call to prayer, the call to the gospel sharing, the call to fellowship, and the call to love you. And Lord, we are so weak that we lack the power to do any of those things rightly. I pray you will strengthen us in every one of those areas. And if anyone hears this and doesn't know you, I pray you'll draw them to yourself for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.